Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. What's going on, everybody? Hope you are having a wonderful week so far. Podcast time. Um, this one is going to be a fun one for you. Um, Victor de la Sana. I'm sorry if I pronounce that wrong, dude. My Spanish is not great. Um, Victor is the head creative director and booker at Elro and a bunch of other places. Um, I He lists them all um, in... Um, in the podcast, he looks after three festivals. He looks after clubs. He looks after Elro as well. Um, I came into contact with Victor just after the pandemic, I believe. Um, and he's one of the nicest guys I've come across. Works very hard and also just always makes time for, for people. Um, lovely guy so i wanted to get him on the podcast and kind of get a bit of history of the amazing party that we all know of as elro um and he's also a manager so he manages a couple of a couple of acts that you're all here about in the um in the podcast so without further ado victor de la Sala. how was it yeah movement was amazing man yeah yeah never yes. been man i really want to come oh really yeah it's hands down the best festival in America. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's super special. It's just like, I don't know. I think it's because it's, it's obviously got, Detroit's obviously got the huge history of techno and just music generally, hip hop, Motown. And then, yeah, it, obviously it struck the city struggled and still struggles. Like it's, it's a very blue collar city. It's very raw. Yeah. And the festival is like an all ages festival. So you get everyone from like all walks of life there, kids, grandparents, parents, sisters, it's brothers. It's amazing. Nice. And, um, yeah, Melissa, Melissa, my girlfriend, she's been there and she she loved it. She really yeah. wants to come back as well. Yeah. How are you, man? Anyway. I'm good. I'm good. Just landed this morning from Ibiza. Yeah. Uh, you know, from how, the opening. How was the opening? The opening was good. Uh, we did the same numbers, a little bit more than 2019, which mm. means that we are in a good place. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the island is really busy. Which yeah. I didn't. I, I don't know. It's one of those weird things. You know, when when I first went to Ibiza like five weeks ago, I could feel that the the vibe was very VIP. Mm. You know. Yeah. Like everything's everything's gone super expensive. Yeah. So I was a bit worried because. I've, you know, I've been going to Ibiza for well over 20 years. And, yeah. and I think I feel that Ibiza was made by the people on the dance floor, not, mm. not by the people on the VIPs. Mm. 
and it's slowly turning into that as well. And and it, and you know, it is it's part of the business, and it's fine. I don't I don't, know, I don't hate the APs or anything like that. But I just don't want to be in a situation where clubbers get priced out of Ibiza. Yeah. You know? Because at the end, they are the heart of the party. Yeah, I've got a few friends that moved out there this summer to work, and they're finding that rent is just through the roof. Which, yeah, which that is the, the the thing is a lot of the a lot of the island people don't realize like a lot of the island is built around foreign workers that come that go to Ibiza. Um, yeah, but also the whole visa thing for English people to go to to go to Europe. Um, like they can only spend like three months there working. Brexit is being real, and I think now we're really seeing the the yeah. effects, the ripple effect of Brexit. You know, yeah. um, just the other day I was getting a somebody sent me at well, I don't know what it was. It felt like a vinyl, but so the postman just knocked on my door, and they were like, "Oh, I've got this package for you," and I'm like, "Okay, great." That was me. It's like, no, you, yeah, that was, that was me. You? Yeah, I sent you a vinyl. Okay, so you got returned. <sighs> I put they, it, they wanted me to pay 20 pounds for it. Yeah. And but they didn't tell me who it was from, what it was until I paid. And I'm like, look, I'm not gonna take something from somebody yeah. I don't know who sent it to me. Oh shit, I'm so sorry. If I no, no, it's, I would have I would have taken it. No, it's fucking but I got so infuriated. It's like, you know, it said 20, it said 20 on value because I, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, but you wanna charge me another 20 for it? Why? You know, it's but, just like that's so stupid because I put it down as a gift, so they it shouldn't. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Oh, it's not your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring it to you in Ibiza. It's all bring good. It to me, yeah, yeah. Person. But I Shit. totally agree. It's just so fucked how everything's just like. It was the most stupid thing that happened in British culture. If I'm honest with you, yeah, it's the most. I stupid. agree because the thing I, is. I remember. I was sorry. I was I was in Glastonbury mm. up when the voting happened because it was around mm. the same time. Yeah, and I remember the mood that Glastonbury changed completely mm. that day. Completely changed. Yeah, it was bad, man. It was dark. It was a dark day in, in Glastonbury that day when when the Brexit happened, when the voting happened. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very strange that politics is fucked, right? It's all bullshit. Yeah, but I think like it for for our industry, it changes everything completely. Like changes yeah. everything, everything, especially like now with inflation generally, like inflation is going through the roof, which we all knew was going to happen after COVID because that was just going to be the case, right? Um, yeah. If if you close down a country for two years and give everyone money for two years, something's going to kind of have to come out at the end of it. Of course. Um, but how do you think it's going to affect parties? Do you think it's... I think the problem right now that I see as a booker and as a manager as well, um, the problem is that the, the cost of flights, for example, and mm. hotels and things like that, is is pricing out like the up and coming artists that yeah. are coming through. They are coming through because you know if you have your 10, 15, 20k DJ, you know, mm. yeah, they can do an all in. They can they can pay for their own flights. Mm. They can pay for a hotel yeah. room, etc. But you know, if you got these kids that are coming through and they're making waves, but they're getting paid maybe like a thousand, a thousand and a half, two thousand euros yeah. for a show, which is, which is, you know, it's a fair price, but you know, most of that money goes on, on flights and, and other things. And I also, you know, promoters having to, to put up all these charges is, is not also fair, you know, not for big promoters, for every promoter, you know, yeah. small promoters are going to be, are going to really struggle to make good lineups when, if these charges, if these prices keep going up, you know? What do you, what do you think the, 
the positives will come out of it? Because I, I truly think there's going to be some something that flips around. Do you think there's going to be any positives that come out of it? Out of the pandemic? Out of this... Uh, just out of the situation, not necessarily the pandemic, but just like out of the situation that we're in right now with like everything getting more expensive and kind of... I think if it keeps going like that, a lot of a lot of especially smaller promoters will be looking at local talent, which yeah. I think is a great thing, you know. Mm. Um, you know, we've we've all been looking, or I know I've been looking at um, a lot of up and coming talent during the pandemic, and mm. I am booking them now. In fact, my lineup in Amnesia is, I think, it's like 70 percent are new people, new yeah. people that have never played uh, for us before, mm. which is great. I love it, and we're taking a risk as well, especially because we are a party that you know caters for a certain kind of sound and mm. you know energy as, as you well know um so you know some of these kids maybe you know are they gonna be scared if they come to play for amnesia in front of mm. you know seven thousand people for the first time <laughs> they come to ibiza <laughs> yeah, but but you know you have to give them a chance i think that's the it. thing i think that is where it's gonna go i think promoters are probably gonna start building crews in their cities and kind of building really interesting parties and kind of doing more like kind of what you guys do at El Row is like you actually throw a party. It's not necessarily based around the DJ. People turn up anyway. And, yeah, and the, yeah, exactly. The, the DJs help. And I think that's personally, like if I was a promoter, it's the most business savvy way to go about throwing a party where you don't actually have to rely on the dj which it used to be years ago the dj was never yeah. the dj was never the pool now it seems over the last like 10 years djs have become the only reason why tickets sell yeah not, not because of the night and don't get me wrong if you book in a festival and you book in like big spaces you also need you know your brand is gonna get to mm -hmm. that point but you need to get to that point and to get to that point that's right. where your lineup comes through you know especially yeah. for a, for an event like a row you know i know we can sell x amount of tickets just based on the brand yeah but i know i need a good lineup i know i need an interesting lineup yeah. to um to sell the rest of the tickets yeah. so it's you know it's a bit of a symbiotic uh, relationship in a way mm -hmm. you know the DJs come to play it for a good party. Their profile can can go big, and yeah. you know, for us, uh, me as a booker and a music director, then it's it's nice to have a good lineup that works accordingly to the party and to the vibe of the event. Mm. So, no, I totally agree. So yeah, I totally agree. When did you guys start in Ibiza? Because I think my my first this is my like my personal first um, experience with Elro was when you first went to Ibiza. I'm going to go on a limb in here <laughs> and say that this was 10, if not 11 years ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, the thing with the pandemic, it feels like two years have yeah. just gone by and we, we don't count them. You know, mm. I still say, I remember last season when mm. we were in Ibiza and that was two and a half years ago. Yeah. It's you crazy. know, so it feels like our brains have uh, kind yeah. of vanished these two years. <laughs> but yeah, I would say that, that it was about 10 years ago because we started doing. Um, uh, privilege we mm. started when when vista club opened yeah in fact this is a little known not known fact that uh, not many people know and that that we designed the vista club Juan are now oh, really? senior uh juan's father uh, yeah. you know the originator he uh he he helped design vista because we got you know obviously privilege was way too big for us yeah. we were a small brand from barcelona that you know we were not doing we were not doing big shows. We were yeah, not doing yeah. hardly hardly anything outside of Barcelona. So, you know, when we... In fact, the first time we did Ibiza was at the Zoo Project. <laughs> Zoo that project. was the first wow. time. 
That yeah. Was, is and that still around? That is still around. I saw I saw um, I saw posters for it in in Ibiza this week. Because I remember so when I, don't, I, I was living. I don't think in Ibiza. they do that many Musa anymore. Yeah, well, I when I was when I was living in Ibiza, the Zoo Project started, and I remember that was like I think it was Sundays. Oh no, I can't remember what days it was. Oh, but it was that. like literally like all the workers of the island would yeah. just go to the yeah, yeah, project yeah. and it was just like the best party. It was a super project. It was amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it still is. I haven't yeah. been there for years, yeah. but you know. It's just it, was always, it was always a fun party. Always. Way too much ketamine was taken in that party. <laughs> <laughs> it was always messy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I want to I talk about, because I think... People listening obviously know Elro. It's a worldwide brand. It's huge. But I don't think they realize the history of Elro. Um, yeah. And I've briefly spoke about it with you and briefly read about it on the, on the websites. Um, but the history is pretty rich in... in yeah, I was going to say, how long do we have for this? I know. I, we, <laughs> we can go all day, man. We can go all day. I really want people to understand how what the roots of 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 the brand is um because it's really important that people know i can i can give you a a lowdown a, yeah. a quick lowdown a breakdown on on it um, and i won't bore anybody um, <laughs> <laughs> so this is obviously a row as, as as many people know is a family run business um you know and this started with their now family their now family is uh as they, they, they consider themselves and they call themselves, rightly so, a family of entertainers, you know, mm. and because for them it's just to have fun, you know, we do all these events. Obviously, yes, it is a business, you know, no one, no one's going to lie about this. Same as a DJ does this for a passion, but they also get paid for it. Yeah. So, you know, it is, it is a business and a way of life. Um, but for them, the most important thing is for people to have fun. You know, you can, if you're in a club with them, you will always see the family looking at the crowd. And that's what they taught us as well. You know, look at the crowd, you know, make sure that the people are having fun. And if they're not having fun, try to find out where is the, you know, where is the issue? Where, yeah. And so they they basically started in nineteen, uh, pardon, sorry, eighteen seventy. So this is like seventh generation of wow. people that are working in the entertainment industry at the moment, which is Juan and Cruz, uh, which are the youngest uh, generation, and they are the you know the founders of El Row. But these all started in a little village two hours away from Barcelona. Uh, called Fraga, and um, that's where they started, um, like like a little casino, and uh, and they you know they were bringing vedettes and dancers and stuff like that, and you know a bit of live music orchestras. So that was that was the beginning, and then that that started morphing into like um, like dance halls with uh, you know they were opening dance halls where the the men would be standing in one side of the room and the women would be sitting on the other side of the room. And the women would be sitting there in a chair and the mothers will be behind of the women. So the men <laughs> would have to come to the mother, ask permission for them to take the woman to dance, the daughter to dance. And if the mother would go like this on the daughter's elbow, then they would allow they would be allowed to get up and, and dance with the men. You Could know? you imagine that happening and, today? Oh my god, imagine <laughs> that being an amnesia. Excuse me. <laughs> 
Now everyone's just swiping left and right on Tinder. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then from there, it, it just morphed into many different things. Uh, the main thing and the more stable thing was being a cinema. Mm. Um, and the cinema was there. And then the cinema turned into, uh, turned into, they even had like a mute cinema where with a live orchestra playing music. No you way. Know? So, yeah. And, and then he came to Juan's uh, grandfather, um, who was... Um, lovingly called in Spain uh, the grandfather of techno mm. um, because he used to walk around the clubs at like 5, 6 in the a.m. before on a Sunday morning before mm. closing and before going to church to, okay. uh, you know, to ask the kids that were completely fucked up around the dance floor saying, how was your night? Did you have fun? <laughs> what was your favorite DJ tonight? <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, so, um, so anyway, moving forward between the cinemas and the concert halls and everything, they opened um, a club 80 years ago called Florida 135, mm -hmm. uh, many different names. And that's where the electronic music really started, you know. Mm. Um, out of that club came uh, magazines, fanzines, uh, you know, mm. many different things. I remember they used to send you the, the flyer, the artwork it used to be uh, like a handmade uh, painting of one of the DJs of the month. Mm. And they would send it to you by mail to your house every month no with way. a monthly program. I still have most of those saved, you know, they're like a treasure. That's so cool. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, things started moving. They changed. They were playing like hard house. They were playing techno before techno was trending in Spain. Mm. They lost a lot of money because nobody would understand the, what they were doing, you know. <laughs> they were the first people to bring Richie Houghton, Jeff Mills, Laurent Garnier yeah. to... To play in Spain, they, you know, and they're out of there, uh, a small after party uh, called Monegros uh, came out and started as an after party from Florida 135 mm. almost 30 years ago. Wow. Uh, that started as an after party in, uh, in the middle of the desert mm. in a house that the family had. And that grew into what we're going to celebrate 29 years this year, uh, Monegros Festival. Grew into a monster of more than 40,000 people in the desert for 22 hours. That's crazy. And out of out of all those creativities, when the family moved out of Fraga, uh, when Juan, which is now the CEO, when Juan started going to university, they, they decided to move to Barcelona, the whole family. And that's when they started uh, running a venue in, in here. They started El Row, and then you know El Row took many shapes and forms and different clubs. And the venue that we are now is going to be our 10, 11, 12 years already mm. that it's been there. Started as an after party as well, 6 a.m. in the morning. Well, started as a nightclub, sorry. Didn't work, lost a lot of money. Mm. And then when they were about to close, <laughs> they were like, oh, let's, let's try to do an after party. <laughs> um, let's start to play with people and throw them confetti and throw toys. And, you know, at the beginning, it was just like these toys that you can find in the Chinese shops, you yeah. know, and just water pistols and, <laughs> you know, shit like that. And then it morphed, you know, slowly it started becoming bigger and it morphed into what everyone knows now, you know, mm. like these big productions with intricate uh, decorations and actors and steel walkers. And yeah. Yeah. All that craziness that, that we surround ourselves with. How many, how many events do you do on a year? It must be loads. The pandemic, I think we were doing 150 shows worldwide. Jesus plus uh, three festivals. <laughs> and you're booking all of those, right? Um, not all of those. I'm the music director for it. I am personally responsible for Monegros, for Elro Town in Amsterdam, Madrid, and London, the Elro Island Festival that we do in Croatia. Yeah. 
plus uh, the Florida One Three Five Club. Mm. Uh, that's what I do. I have my right hand man Alex, uh, who does all the bookings for the for the tour mm. with the local promoters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a little little bit of work. I was going to say that's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> and also, what's it like with with the festivals? Because I think I don't know. Tell me if I'm wrong, but booking club shows and the like the Elro stuff maybe feel like it's kind of a little bit easier curating wise but festival when you're curating a festival it must be a little bit different when you're when you're kind of sitting down well, again how who I mean the Elro festivals are we we try because obviously Elro is pretty much known for like more house and tech yeah. house uh sounds so when we started doing Elro town festivals you know we want to make it really feel i mean we didn't get this right at the beginning it mm. was it just at the beginning i remember most of the, the state it didn't really feel like a festival it just felt like a big party yeah you know uh which was fine you know you learn you learn with time and then now i think we just got it right where you really feel like a festival it's yeah. a very immersive festival and we, I try to book different sounds on on every you know main stage. You have your main headliners. Yeah. Uh, I will always put a techno tent where I can book mm. like really like harder techno acts, yeah. and you know they work well. And uh, and then I have another stage which maybe is more housey, more disco, or more something like you mm. know something a bit different. So at least you feel that when you move around the festival, you have different ambiences. Yeah. Uh, Monegros is a whole different beast. Monegros is a 22 hours festival in the middle of the desert. There's no camping, you drive in, you drive out. Uh, it's, you know, 40 degrees during the day oh, and 10 degrees at night. That's it's brutal. just very, very radical festival. It's, it's very extreme festival. It's a very extreme experience. And, you know, this year I have 11 stages and over 125 artists wow. ranging from hard techno to hard trance to drum and bass to hip hop uh, uh yeah rave music uh like more classical techno more melodic mm. so yeah it's that that is and to be honest i love doing that because it's such a challenge to yeah. curate such a big lineup uh especially and make it fit all in one day that I, I really enjoyed. And also from a romantic point of view monegros was the first festival i ever went in my life oh really so yeah how does that feel? I feel it feels like full circle in a way mm. because I I come from um, I come from Huesca, which is a small town next to Fraga, like yeah. an hour drive from Fraga. So you know, when I was younger, there was there was nothing, there was not much culture where I came from. Mm. But we had Florida One Three Five, who was pushing the trade techno and yeah. was pushing like techno in general, you know. And and you know, I remember in '98 or '97 or '96 was the first time I went there and I went to see Carl Cox and I was like. Wow, that was the day when Carl Cox was charging three thousand euros. No, in pesetas, it was one million pesetas, which is about three thousand euros or six thousand euros. So <laughs> you can imagine how things have changed slightly. So you know, for me to suddenly eight years ago, you know, be offered to be the music director for mm. Florida One Three Five and Monegros and El Row, which is the, the first clubs and the first festival that I ever went in my life as a you know as a teenager. I probably wasn't even allowed legally to go to, to go in the club, but you know, I don't know. They let me in anyway. So yeah, <laughs> man, probably... I, I bet that's pretty special. How, how how did it start with you then wanting to get into it, and then how did you get to where the point where you're at now? Um, I I mean I've always been involved in music uh, in one way or another. 
I don't think I've ever had any uh, any job that has not been with music. Mm. And, you know, I'm turning 43 this year, so mm. I, I think I've been very blessed uh, in that sense. I start, I started like pretty much everyone in this industry, I think. I started DJing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know. I, I moved to London when I just turned 19 years old mm. to study sound engineering and music technology. Uh, just just that, that's what I wanted to do. My yeah. parents bought me a Roland MC303 when I was 15 for my birthday, <laughs> and that kind of changed everything. That's a solid birthday present. That's a very yeah good exactly moment. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah because I was just talking about music all day and you know what do you want for Christmas it's just for music I want you know just, I remember buying my first CD it was uh, Public Enemy mm. 1991 Fear of a Black Planet and you know from Classic. there I was just obsessed with American hip hop and 90s hip hop and mm. then it went into electronic music and that's when I started making electronic music you know I kind of play any instrument so you know. I could play a drum machine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, think that, I think that's most of it. I was talking to that on the weekend and somebody asked me like, why did you choose house and techno? And I was like, I don't like, I, I know, I know at the point when I was like, I loved dance music. Obviously growing up in the UK is like dance music culture is just like, just thrown at you from yeah. like the early nineties. Um, but yeah, I think that was one of the reasons as well as like, I can't, really i can play the piano a little bit now but like i couldn't play anything but i could click buttons yeah. on a computer and press it press a button on a synth or something like that it kind and yeah of you have a good ear you yeah know, you don't need to know you know music uh, maybe you don't need to have music history but you know you can you know what when something sounds wrong or or right yeah exactly um so yeah so i i moved to london to study this and you know i was already djing in my hometown mm. and i was playing all kinds of music just because i love music so i would buy any kind of music yeah so you know i would play in the afternoons uh you know start playing at nights and i was playing anything from the chemical brothers to goran bregovic which is this uh yugoslavian folk uh, composer who's made mm. uh music scores but it, it has very uplifting music oh really so i would mix heard that yeah yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send you some yeah, stuff please. Of it. um and i would mix that with rock and pop and with mano negra you know which is manu chao solban and you know it was just fun music and uplifting mm. music and you know so it was a bit of a you know, anything goes, you know, mm. we were happy that we were lucky that the bars that I played, they supported and they, they didn't, just didn't want to play the, you know, the radio music that yeah, was yeah. popular at the time. So I could get to play the music that I liked and, you know, and people liked that music. Um, so by the time I moved to London, I got a DJ gig as well uh, in a bar and I became a resident there. And then I, I started working as a resident at Fasha mm. for a few years. And I did a residency slot at Ministry of Sound for a few years as well. In the small venues, in the small rooms, yeah. not, not, you know, not in the box or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. But, you know, I was, I was just DJing and DJing. And, they, you know, it was... I mean, Why I was did you move 20s. to London? Uh, because there was nowhere for me to study music engineering in Spain. Mm. Sound yeah. engineering in Spain. So the only real proper school close to me and you know i already spoke i already spoke english because my mom used, used to be an english used uh, used to be an english teacher oh, okay. so i grew up i grew up um, speaking in english so yeah sae in london at that time mm. this was back in 1999 so uh sa in london was probably the only decent school you yeah, know, yeah. To, um, to learn this mm. um so yeah so then i i started djing by the, you know, halfway through my degree, I was I started DJing in clubs. I was in, I was in my early twenties DJing in London in the you know end of the nineties. Cut! I caught the last wave of the illegal rapes. Uh, yeah. You know, where you would call the landline and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. they will tell you the address. Yeah. 
So it was fun. So I'm like, you know, fuck this. I don't want to be a sound engineer anymore. I just want to be a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> Much more fun. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, uh, you know, DJing thing kind of not dried out, but there was a time where, you know, it was a bit weird in clubbing, mm. lo- clubbing in London. Yeah. Like a lot of lazy promoters were just asking you to bring people and they would pay you based on your guest list. Yeah. And, I didn't like that. I felt so much pressure. And, you know, I was always in the music for the fun of it and for the, mm. because I love music and I love playing music to people. I wasn't really there saying, oh, you know, I want to become the new Carl Cox. Yeah, yeah, obviously at one point you think about that, but, you know, it just wasn't for me. So yeah. I, I became um, I became the soul dance and hip-hop buyer for H&B in central London. Oh, cool. In Oxford Street. And I was there for five years. Uh and then, <laughs> then I got offered to open DJ Mag in Spain mm. uh, back to back in 2010. So I moved back to Madrid. Uh, I was the managing director for DJ Mag for almost four years. Mm. Then I moved to Australia to do the same thing. I opened DJ Mag in Australia, uh, but then I stayed only one year. It was just too far away from from everything I know. Australia is uh, so far away. Like, it's too far, man. Too far. I remember seeing just walking my dog around Sydney and just seeing the planes go through and going like, "Fuck, I just want to be on that plane." Yeah, you know? yeah. Um. So yeah. So I came back to I came back to Spain, and after a few months of being in Spain, I did a bit of press, and and then I got a call from from Juan, and and he offered me the job, and the rest is is history, history, as they say. Wow, man, that's pretty amazing. It's <laughs> thank you. And then how? Because you manage, mate. How do you have any time? Like I don't. Yeah. I used to I used to have her. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> um, yeah, because like it's really interesting in this industry. I feel like to you you meet certain people and they're at the top of their game, but they do so much. And it, I think that's also the reason why they're at the top of their game because they're always constantly trying to do more and more and more. And it's kind of, yeah, think some things don't work and you try something new and you try something new until it sticks to the wall and, and it kind of, it kind of does work. Um, when did you start the whole management thing? Was it kind of coincided with booking and you were like, I could probably help some artists out? It did. I mean, as you know, the the first artist that I started managing was Andres Campo, which yeah. I know is a is you know it's a, it's a friend of yours as well. Yeah. And um, with Andres, it, it just happened by by accident in mm. a way because when I came back from Australia, he was Andres has been a good friend of mine for many many years. Yeah. We we both come back from the same city. We were both DJing pretty much at the same time in mm. the in the city. He was playing more. More uh, like hard house and hard trance um, style. I was more into house and techno, but you know, it was a small town. It was like maybe it was five of us who were mm. DJs <laughs> at the time. That's amazing. Um, so, uh, so when I came back from Australia, Andres was, you know, he wasn't he wasn't a big DJ yet. He was he was just doing a few shows around Barcelona and stuff. Uh, but he was working at the office for El Row and Florida and Monegros. Yeah. Uh, he was a graphic, uh, was a graphic designer at the office. No way. And uh, when I came back, and uh, the music, the music director that they had at the time left after twelve years, and uh, he said to Juan, he was like, "Oh, you know, Victor is back from Australia, and he's, you know, he's not really doing, he's not really, he's not working with anybody. He's yeah. just doing uh, like some, you know, some freelancing stuff." And that's when I got the call. So I felt, you know, kind of like, look, I'm going to be in a position now that I'm going to meet a lot of people. I'm yeah. going to 
I'm going to have kind of an important position in the industry. Mm. So why don't I become your manager and I help you with your career? Mm. So that was eight years ago. <laughs> and now he's <laughs> and, a king, you know, king in Spain. Now he's, uh, yeah, now he's one of the highest seller tickets. Uh, how is the highest ticket sellers in Spain? So how, how does that, how, how does that feel though with, for you? Like, because obviously you've gone back so far with each other and, you, and you're obviously close friends. And I think for me, like, yeah, because I think for me, like a management, there, there's there's two different types of managers that I find in this industry that I've kind of came across. And there's there's one that's pure business and it's strictly, we're just making percentages. And the the, yeah. the artist is doesn't really have a relationship with them, but the artist understands that this is just a business relationship and they're, they're doing what they can to make money. And then there's the other side of it where it started from something small with somebody because they've got a really strong relationship with them um yeah personally that's where i like like with with ryan like we we worked together Uh. three years three nearly four years now i think and that started really organically um and obviously at that point i wasn't earning great money or anything like that and it kind of slowly grows but for you is like you're starting with a mate and you're kind of you've pretty much helped a friend of yours get his dreams <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's not it's not been my you know i i, I don't put myself my medal you know he's the one going out every weekend oh, to dj course, and yeah. he's the one on the studio making music i just i like to think that i guide him to mm. you know to what's best for his career but at the end uh, you know managers managers for me in my you know, i mean i am i agree 100 with you i don't like that this, this is just a percentage this is a mm. business because for me i've been in this industry long enough to know that 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 is not a lasting relationship and no. that is not a lasting career you know mm. you have to learn to say no to many things uh before you say yes mm. and 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 that's something that artists especially sometimes they're eager they just want to go out and play and yeah, play and play you yeah. know and you have to go like hey you know take it easy maybe mm. this is maybe it's best if we don't do this now because you know but if you don't do this now it's because then we're gonna get this done and this yeah. is much better yeah. you know so that's uh, kind of that's what that's what i think my job is is uh, making sure that things are done and and try to guide him through things you know and obviously i have different connections in, in other in other places that that help you to help the career of the artist yeah so that's that's the management for me it's not a, not just a percentage at the end of the month uh yeah. it's you know and I like to work with people that I like. You know, I manage two other acts, and you he know, to, they he, happen pretty much. I, I manage Bastian Bucks, uh-huh. uh, which is one of the resident, and that happened in a similar way. He had a management company, had a booking agency. He was not happy with them, or you know, they were breaking the relationship. And mm. you know, I was like, oh, you know, let me, I'll help you. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll help you get through. And we've been together for four years now, and you know, Bastian is is growing his profile, especially in the USA as well. Yeah. You know, we just, we just launched his new label. Mm. The two releases have gone into the top 20 on Beatport. You know, Jamie's been playing them. A That's lot awesome. of people have been supporting. So it's great. You know, it's for me right now, it's really motivates me to see mm. these guys that we've been working with and, you know, how they, how we, we set up a plan and, you know, uh, and a strategy that we wanted to do and how it comes to life. Yeah. That's that's very rewarding, you know, and forget about money. That's just very rewarding on a personal level, you know? No, I totally agree um, with that. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And the other kid that I'm managing is called Render and uh, he's, you know, I started with him last year in September. Mm. He was doing his first shows and, you know, now he's, he's getting big in Italy. He's getting good shows in the UK. So, yeah, it's, you know. 
it's a process, but it's good. I, I enjoy it. I really enjoy it. For like um, artists that are new and up and coming, when would you say is the time for a manager to take on the work? Like, when do you think? Because I, I like, obviously, I'm sure you come across it all the time. I come across it all the time where you meet new artists that are like just starting out and they're like, I need a manager and I need an agent now. Yeah. What's your. That, that is for me the biggest mistake yeah. a new artist can do. Agree. 100%. I saw it when I was a DJ. Uh, I saw people that were playing, they were, you know, they were my colleagues when we were DJing in London and, mm. and you know, London circuit in the early 2000s, late 90s. It was quite close at the end of the day, you know, mm. it was pretty much the same faces playing everywhere. And I saw some of those people or some people that they, you know, they took on an agency because they were like, oh, you know, this is it. And, you know, this business, as you will know, uh, Will, this is based on relationships. Totally. That that's how it is, you yeah. know. You, I always say to my artists and to everyone really that I, I you know, I've done a few uh, master classes and I've, you know, talked at AD and IMS. Mm. And one of the main things that I always say is just, you know, be nice to people, mm. man. Don't be a dick, you know, because this industry is very big, but it's very, very, very small. Super small. We all we all know each other. Yeah. You know, we talk within we talk between ourselves. Yeah. So if you're a dick, that's gonna stay with you for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, if you're a dick but you're like a super huge headliner, then you know it might work out for you. But yeah. if you're trying to make it or you're like a you know mid-level artist and you start being a dick, then it's just Egos, egos killed artists for me. You know, that's that's yeah. what destroys uh, careers. I think. Do you think? And, a, do you think a good manager can help that? If, if if I think must help that. Yeah. I think uh, I think a good manager is the one who should go to the artist and say, "Hey, man, you're being a dick. Mm. If you can, if you carry on being like this, it's gonna be very hard for me to get you any shows or to you know yeah. to get you anything." I don't want I, I don't want any feedback any bad feedback from an artist when you know after the show. No. I, I you know anybody can have a bad day and anybody can have a bad set and you know that's that's fine. I I I, I don't get on on that. But just be nice to people. It's free, you know, you don't have to pay for that. You I, know? And, and yeah, my my saying is is it's it's always so much harder to not be nice to people. Like to to yeah. not to to not be nice to someone and to not respect somebody is actually more effort to like go out of your way to be that type of person is yeah, i agree you just don't need to be that it's just easier generally. no and there's one thing that my my dad told me as a kid and you know it's nothing that i'm not gonna discover the wheel in here <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you know you never know who's gonna be behind the door that you're gonna knock in five ten fifteen years time yeah so why you fuck somebody you know mm. when you don't know that person is gonna be later you or maybe you're gonna need that person for something so yeah. Just try not to close any doors behind you, mm. you know? So that's what, what, that, that would be my advice for any new artist or for any artist in general. No, I agree. Because I think the thing that, that really stands out to me is there's still some huge artists in the world that some of the, like Camel Fat, for, exi- for example, they don't have a manager. Yeah. And they do it themselves and they have like, I think they have like an assistant that does like the day, like the back end stuff that they obviously don't have time to do. But... I think it's very easy as an artist to want a manager and expect a manager and agent to build your career where realistically yeah. it's actually down to you as, as, as the artist to kind of create hype 
and that's that's the thing i like i was saying we, we got sidetracked with the being nice thing but um you know an artist uh when you start when you start djing you you start getting gigs because you've built a relationship with promoters or mm. with other resident djs and they start giving you shows mm. the minute that you put a, an agent between that promoter and yourself you probably not you're probably going to lose that promoter yeah you know not because i mean you need an agent or a manager when they come to find you, mm. not when you want to find them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, if you're good and you're, I mean, maybe you're getting super busy and nobody has noticed you and you get like 20 offers a day, then then you need to find an agent, yeah. you know, because you need somebody to organize your, your schedule and everything. But I also think but when you're at that level and it, you will have so many offers anyway. Somebody would have come to pick you up yeah. already. Yeah. Some agent or some manager would have come and say, "Oh, hold on, why is this guy playing everywhere? He doesn't have an agency or a management." Okay, I want to take him. Mm. You know, that's so that that's what I think happens. Uh, you know, that's what that's how it should be. It should be the natural process of you're doing good on your own. You know, you're working hard, you're releasing music, and then somebody's gonna notice you. Somebody's gonna go like, "Hey, mm. come here, I want to manage you, or I want to be your agent, and you know, let's take this to the next step." Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's, it's, I think creating enough hype around yourself. I think then you understand how hard it is when, as well as 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 an artist. Again, I think if it, go and put a night on, not, go go and prom, go and promote for a year. Go and learn how the business works. Yeah, like I've I've promoted a couple of times and I'm terrible at it. And I really it made me realize how how hard it is to put nights on. And it made me never want to put nights on ever again. But it's yeah. still the whole process of learning it and if you if you learn the more you learn in the industry the more when you get to a point in your career where you're full-time you'll understand it a little bit more yeah and i think it's important and this comes this 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 does not only apply just for uh, the music industry i think this applies for any industry Mm. if you want to be a ceo or a manager or something you know you you need to know your employees what do they need to do in order to get the job done? Yeah. I mean, if I'm a music director, I know, you know, I know how it takes to book a tour. I know what it takes to, uh, you know, mm. book a flight, book a hotel, whatever. So, uh, you know, as a, you, you need to know what your employees are doing and uh, how they're doing it because you've done it before, mm. you know? Totally. I think basically you need to eat shit before you can, you know, you can eat honey. Well, <laughs> and, it makes any sense. I think, I, and I think that's the thing is as I think, with social media nowadays, we all see the glamorous side of life, right? In everything, not just in yeah. music, in in everything. Um, successful people, uh, not all successful people, but a lot of people want to kind of give a perception that they... In fact, it's not just a successful people, it's everybody wants to give this perception of their life that it's something beautiful. And yeah. you get that with you get that with DJs. Like if I see another fucking private jet on a DJ posting a private jet photo, I, I unfollow them because it does my head in. Um, but it's like, it's part of the business, but it's people don't see the, the hustle side of it where the hard work that goes into the behind the scenes of how to get yeah. to that point. Um, and I, I guess it's, it's the same for you. If you know what I mean, you, you, you talk about your story and you're like, well, it started in the early 2000s or late, late 90s, late 90s and to yeah. like how long it took you to get to like took 20 years to get to where you're at now, maybe a bit yeah. longer. And and I think 
we live in this this society now where we want everything now and we want everything to happen in the next year or two realistically yeah. that's just this is it's just not doable unless you write a hit record and i and i think and this isn't this doesn't apply to everyone but i believe that the people that rise super fast you don't understand i mean you do understand but uh, uh, people in general they don't understand the amount of pressure mm. that there is for that person for mm. that artist to you know if you've gone like this and you achieve your first track as a number one everybody expects the number one mm -hmm. after that yeah you know anything below is failure yeah that that pressure and this is why i think also this industry has such a level of depression and 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 mm -hmm. you know mental problems you know in a way because there is a lot of pressure both for the dj to, per to perform you're gonna perform in front of 500, 5,000 or 50,000 people every yeah. weekend. And that is a huge amount of pressure, mm. you know, to get on stage in front of so many people. And and it's your career that you, it's not like you've put a, you know, you've taken a three months to do your, I don't know, your final presentation for your university or for mm. your job. No, you are there on the moment and this is life, you know, right. and, and that's a lot of pressure. And for a promoter as well, you know, you're putting your livelihood onto a festival or into an event that, Sometimes until the until a week after the event, you don't even know if you've ruined yourself or you <laughs> made yourself some money. Yeah, no, yeah, totally. <laughs> so the, the, the yes is is as you say. I think social media has glamorized this industry in a way that that is not really. It is yeah, it's, it is glamorous, and mm. you know we all love to work in it, and and it's very beautiful to work in something that you're passionate about. Totally. But the, the pressure is huge, you yeah. know, to, to deliver and to deliver a good show and to deliver a good lineup when you're a booker or to deliver a good event when you're a promoter, mm. to find a nice venue, to, you know, there's a lot of com there's a lot of competition, you know, mm. due to social media as well and due to all these private jet pictures and champagne mm. pictures and girls pictures. If you are a 15 year old kid and you see this guy who's flying private jet with yeah. three girls and three models and drinking Dom Perignon in a backstage, you're like, oh, I want to do that. Yeah. Obviously, Obviously, same as when we were kids, we wanted to be astronauts, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> the same thing. Don't you want to go to the moon? Yeah, of course I want to go to the fucking moon. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a tough business. There is this quote from uh, Hunter S. Thompson about the music industry. I don't know if you know it. No. Which, uh, no, oh my God, this is the best. It says, um, I might have to find it. Uh, can I can I search it? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, search, so man. Yeah, so yeah. I can misquote it, please. Um, I, I need to watch the film about him that Johnny Depp did. Uh, you haven't seen I it? I haven't no, seen that's it. That's amazing. You made me disconnect the Wi-Fi. Let me connect it again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> uh, now, this, this quote is something that I always say it. Uh, to people because it, it really represents the um what the music industry is mm. for many of us music industry quote there you go so where is it the music business is a cruel and shallow money trench a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs there's also a negative side <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's true it's so true it's true I mean, it's obviously it's, it's, it's exaggerated and everything, mm. but it's, it is the truth. You know, we're all in here because we love it. And, you know, and yeah, we, this is what happens on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was talking to a, I was talking to some friends this weekend and I was like, what I, I, and I think about this a lot and more so recently, I'm not too sure why it's been coming up more in my life recently, but it's like, 
what the fuck would I do if music didn't wasn't happening? And like, I don't yeah. have, a, I don't know what I could do. I re- I have nothing. I have nothing else. I've, I've, I've been asked that question many times, and I don't think I can answer it. No, you know, because I, I can tell you what I wanted to study before I got into music. You know, I wanted to be working with computers. Yeah. I was, you know, I was, I was attracted to computers, mm. and you know, this is I'm talking like the very early computers, like four eight six. You know, that was pretty much no, not even internet at the time. It's just like I always liked the Ataris. I also like video games. So I was, you know, I was drawn to that. Uh, which in a way is parallel to getting my drum machine and yeah. being interested in in music through electronics or through IT, you know, mm. through uh, computers. But yeah, I, I have no fucking clue what I've been doing if, if I didn't get into the music industry. Or if music suddenly just stopped just right stopped. now, what yeah. fuck would I do? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's like whenever, if, you, if, you, if you're a creative person and you have to be taken out of that creativity, I think... Th- thinking about it i would just do something just to make a fuck ton of money it sounds awful but like if i can't enjoy what i'm gonna do then i might as well do something that earns enough money that i can just go and fuck off life a hundred percent i think that's a good that's a good calling you know i cannot do what i love might as well you know study do a career that is gonna make me money yeah so i don't have to work for the rest of my life (laughs) (laughs) although one of my best friends uh from school he's he's a lawyer and like he's in one of the biggest firms in in america but he in the uk office and insane amounts of money and he's like i just don't have time to even enjoy the money He's like, I work, yeah. you know, I work so much that he's like six days a week sometimes, like 12, 14 yeah. hours a day. And you're like, I'd rather work 12, 14 hours a day writing a record that's going to make people happy yeah. than have. I mean, I think in that, in that people, in those people's heads, because I have a friend who is in a similar situation, but, you know, he always says, I will retire by the time I'm 50. So, yeah. you know, I guess, you know, work half of your life, enjoy the rest of your life. That I could live with that also, you know. There's that saying though, isn't it? In Is, a way. There's that saying that when you're young, I can't, I don't fully know it and I'm not, I can't remember what it's, who who originally did brought it up, but it was it was like a, a saying similar that it was, you have enough time when you're young, but you don't have the money. But when you're old, you have the money, but you don't have enough time. You don't have enough time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There is a Spanish one, and I'm not going to translate it, but it's something similar, you know, that life life should be um, the other way around. The other way around, yeah. Yeah, when you know, when you you grow up, you you are born in your old age, and you're taken mm. care of, and you know, you're sitting in a home, and yeah. you're ready to go out and work, and you know, you work your life, and then you know, when you retire, when you are like 25 or 23, when or, you know, or 30 years old, when mm. you start your working life. And how do you end up? How do you and you die with an orgasm, which is when you're produced by your parents, you know? <laughs> so it's a good way to go. <laughs> I love that. How how important for you has travel been in your life and kind of given you experience different cultures and how has that kind of helped you grow as as like a person? I think travel is the most rewarding thing you can ever do as a human being. I think living amongst other cultures and living in different countries and uh, having challenges that you would never have if you didn't leave your, you know, your country, not even your town, your country, you know, I I think that's super important. Uh, I think it's made me the person that I am now. Mm. You know, I've lived in my hometown until I was pretty much 19 years old. Then Mm. I moved to London. Then I lived in Madrid. Then I lived in Sydney, Australia. Now I live in Barcelona. 
you know, my my girlfriend is from Puerto Rico, so I, mm. you know, I have that culture in there as well. And we travel to Puerto Rico. I, you know, I go to the United States at least five, six times a year. Yeah. You know, I, I have friends all over the world. You learn how to live with other cultures. You, you know, you find people there and, you know, they're just not, they're not, it's not that they're not nice. It's just that the culture is to be abrupt with other mm. people. And I don't know, I think, it, I think you grow in a way that, that only traveling and living somewhere else uh, and having the challenges of moving to a different city uh, brings you to your, you know, to your life experience. Nice. I think it's, it's amazing. I would recommend to anybody that, you know, go travel, take one year off. If you can go live for a month to another city, you know, yeah. that's, you don't need to live for a whole year in a, in a city, but go, go take a, take a whole month off, you know, instead of going to the beach or to, you know, to your local mountain apartment mm. or whatever yeah go to another country you know yeah. i just spent a month in puerto rico with uh, with my girlfriend and it was was eye-opening you know i was never into caribbean but i found a place that i was like wow <laughs> this is amazing because i could absorb the culture as well yeah. you know for a whole month so that's that's how so is it rich, out there because you know? i've never been I've, I've really wanted to go i want to go to puerto rico and i want to go to Costa i think rico. We, we spoke about this yeah, in we Miami did. before i yeah. went you know? so now i can give you the load yeah please do <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's great, man. I, I love it. I love it because it's um it's such a um, lively city, as a lively island. You know, they they obviously have the US influence, mm. which you know for some things is good, for other things is bad. Yeah. Uh, but but you don't feel like when you go to other places in the Caribbean, um, I always feel like a tourist all the time. I don't know if it makes any sense, mm. you know. Like the, the differences of the quality of life and yeah, you know yeah, they, yeah, yeah. the income is yeah. is very difficult to uh, I I don't enjoy it anyway yeah. you know um, mm. but in there is is absolutely fine and you know people are super welcoming uh, you know there's huge music culture mm. with salsa you know even reggaeton you know, I, I don't like it but you know they have a massive music culture they they have bars open every day there's I don't know. It's it's great. The food is great. The weather is great. What what yeah, do you think I, it is I, with 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 cultures like? Because I find this when I go to, poor, I guess it's poorer countries, right? Where there's there's it's less life is less about making money and more about enjoying life and having fun. What why do you think that is in poorer countries? I think because we you know when you live in a in like a first world country like like we like we do there's. I think it's something to do with consumism and capitalism, you know, that you have things that you know you can get. You know, you can buy a PS5 if you want, you know, or you can can save enough money in a few months or in a year to buy it. Yeah. You know, for other people, that's just, (laughs) it's just unthinkable. I remember the first first time I went to, uh, I went to India and I was only in Mumbai for like four or five days. Um, Mm. And I was shocked how, happy people are and how poor they were at the same time you know yeah uh, there's people living on the streets and sleeping on the street but they, they have a smile on their face you know mm. they i don't know so i i think that you know they're just happy and content with what they have and they learn to live like that while mm. us in first world countries we just always want more and yeah. more and i want to make more money and i want to make more and some of these people they're just happy to have a roof over their heads and a family and, and a healthy family you know mm. And, and they're just grateful for that. Yeah, we. I can definitely take things for granted, one hundred percent. And I think it's very easy to just get caught in that rat race of 
wanting more, whether that's career wise, whether that's finances, whether that's relationships, whether that's anything in life. Like I think it's yeah. something that I think people would, if they said that it didn't happen to them, they'd be lying. Um, but like every time I've been to like, I've, I've not been to loads of like second or third world countries. I've been to South Africa. That was a, a opener, my a complete, oh, is the, is the dog, dog awake? Dog is, yeah, I don't know what he's doing. Sorry, give me one <laughs> Oh my God, do you want to see what he's done? I can show you. So he's hooked himself <laughs> with a fucking modem cable, throw the modem and just, oh, give me a second. No rush, man. Done. <laughs> sorry you, you can include that if you want yeah on, uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna if anybody's if anybody's not listening um if that if everyone's listening you can go watch it on youtube it's uh quite cute um yeah but i think like going to these poor kind it goes back to what we were saying about travel what you were saying about travel is is experiencing different cultures and actually seeing how yeah. how grateful people are for just having a roof over their head and having a meal in their in their belly and yeah it puts a lot of things and you learn in. you learn to respect you know and totally and you know you learn that there's nothing wrong with having another religion and or having mm. you know sleeping with somebody that you might not fancy it's just stupid things that they seem to be very important in the world these days and mm. that they seem to be causing wars and causing shit uh, mm. all over all around it's secondary you know uh, it's just you shouldn't worry about these things. Uh, just be happy and lead a happy life, and just, yeah, don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, man, totally. Um, let's talk a little bit about Ibiza and Elro um, this yeah. summer, and what you guys have got planned for the summer. Um, am I right in saying the Ibiza party? you're doing somebody's doing all night long in one room and then you have correct a, yeah yeah what this was is the, uh, so what when, was the concept when we behind started, that yeah when we started in ibiza we start, obviously we started at vista club mm. sorry we started at vista club and then uh yeah i have two dogs <laughs> <laughs> we started at vista club and there was just like the small venue you know i think it was like 2000 capacity mm. and uh, so that was a row that's it then we moved to space ibiza uh and then we were doing the the main room was us and the, and the terrace was run by kehakuma which mm. was like a more underground uh like home run party from uh from space mm. and then you know elro started growing internationally and we we became bigger so we decided to take over the whole you know the whole of space yeah uh so that's when we were like okay so what do we do we cannot just do two elros you know fighting over each room, yeah. <laughs> each other in, this, in a different room. So nobody was doing the, the all night long thing. And, you know, we came up with the idea of why don't we just put a DJ, you know, the whole night. Mm. And we call it Elro City and we decorate the, you know, and and we decorate each city with... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So good, man. I love the dogs. And we, decor- we decorate each, uh, you know, each time. So, you know... Um, I don't know if Hilario Alicante is from uh, from Milan or whatever. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where he is. Let's scratch that. But we would uh, we would put some decoration on the on the room from the city. Where oh DJ wow! Is. I didn't know that. So that's yeah. 
that's but not not the whole decoration just maybe like a couple of uh details you know yeah. like the most representative thing of that city I that's where that. the name Elrose city came out mm. from um and you know it worked really well it worked really well we started with Takosuna, we had proof armada mm. uh we had richie ahmed um can't remember who else was doing it the first years but but it worked really really well uh the all night long you know and he kind of have to be not everybody can do an all night long mm. uh yeah you know it's we're talking about eight hours pretty much that they have to play yeah and but yeah we we carried on the concept into when when we moved to amnesia because mm. actually we had the second room as well um so we decided to carry on and it's been working really really well you know we opened thursday all night long so you know the dj that's playing all night gets all the people in the first hour and then we open the the terrace we concentrate all the elbow madness and all the theatrics in the in the in the Elro room, yeah, and the Elro city room has a basic decoration. Now it's a basic decoration of a city. You will see it when you come to Amnesia yeah. in the summer. Uh, you know, it's decorated like with cities and mm. it has like uh, traffic lights and stuff like that. Um, and but we don't do we don't do performers or anything mm. like that. It, it has more like a club feel, Amazing. which I think is also good. You know that you get out of the Elro craziness if you want yeah. for like an hour and then you can dance into a into a nightclub mm. or an actual nightclub. Yeah, I I love. The concept of all night longs. So I did a uh, all night long tour um, back in 2020, pre-pandemic, January to March. Yeah. And for me, like I grew up, my my kind of first real DJing experiences was in Ibiza when I was playing like residencies and I was playing for like 12 hours a day. And that's kind of like when, for me personally, I learned how to properly DJ. Yeah. And, and I think in this culture now, especially where you you have to stack lineups it doesn't necessarily allow the djs that want to play longer to yeah. to play a full set and i think it's really there's not i don't see any other brands really doing that and it's it's really important thank you yeah i i agree you know and and it was the same for me when i when i started djing in in my hometown you mm. you opened the bar and you closed it yeah exactly <laughs> that was yeah. it there was not three djs on the lineup no. you know yeah you open and close and you know and this uh cliche because it's a cliche but you know you you take the people on a journey yeah you know at the end of the day yeah. <laughs> sorry I find, I find it a cliche but it's the truth no i did um, i did a um i did a video for mj i'm playing in new york yeah. in a couple of weeks uh for mj and he asked me to do like a, a video about because i'm doing like a longer set i think i'm doing like four hours and he huh. He asked me to do a video, and I was I said that in it, and I cringed when I said that I wanted to take <laughs> on a journey. <laughs> I mean, it's the truth. I remember when yeah. I was playing in London, and and sometimes in the in the bar, it was a bar there where I was like a hotel bar. I don't know if you knew it. It was called the Living Room on uh, Cold Harbor Lane. Okay, no, I didn't. In Brixton. No. no. Um, sorry. <laughs> so um, yeah, my my girl is playing with the dogs. So. Just... <laughs> um. So some, you know, like when I started, I was just the the opener DJ, if you mm. like. But the opener DJ would play from six PM to ten PM. Yeah, yeah. And I would play anything from like starting with funka, with funk, mm. and a little bit of hip hop, yeah. you know. And I would go into disco, and I would start playing house by the, by you know by the time ten PM came because that's when the guest DJ would come. Yeah, yeah. But the guest DJ would play ten PM till four AM. Yeah. You know, but when I when you know when I started, you know, I had a bit of. Uh, time in there and i get to know the club and the owners liked me they you know every now and then they offered me they started offering me to do 
the the guest slot, mm. but I was the resident also. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> so I was like, fuck it, I just you know, I'll, I'll come from six. I was doing from six uh, six p.m. to four a.m. on my own, and I was again starting from like more down tempo, funky music, and you know. But when I say funk, I would play like James Brown. I would yeah. play things like that, you know. But that's and how then, you learn, right? That's how you learn to yeah. be a good DJ. Man, I learned how to mix on those nights. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have turntables at my right. house. I couldn't yeah, have yeah. turntables at the time. Yeah. So, I I just kept buying records and records, but I couldn't play them in in my house. So, those ten hour sets. That's when I. Mm. I was sweating trying to mix, you know, the the track and yeah, yeah. and not fuck it up. And, <laughs> uh, and then you suddenly you, you you put this vinyl that has like three minutes break that you didn't hear in the show, but yeah. because you didn't hear it at home, you were like. Fuck! What am I doing now? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, but that—that's—that's that's how you learn, and that was the beauty of for me of playing like longer sets because that's—that's mm. that's when you you get to know your music, you get to know yourself, you get to know how to carry an eye because when people come like this place, this first place that I started playing, it was a cocktail bar, you know, mm. and only it was only by nine p.m. that they would take the sofas out and yeah. became a dance floor. So for the first three hours, you have to play for people sitting down, sitting down yeah. which now seems very normal after the pandemic. But before <laughs> it wasn't really yeah. normal to DJ for a sitting crowd. Um, so, you know, you have to be inventive. And and I also had like many different sets where I was playing Sundays. I used to do like a chill out set in the mm. afternoon. Yeah. You know, so I would play down tempo music. That's it. So, you know, if you love music and you love playing music for people, then that's it. And, and again, that's that's how you learn. That's how you learn. By yeah. You don't learn by DJing for 90 minutes in front of 5,000 people. You learn by sweating your balls off in a, in a booth in for a 10 hours. Club, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in a shit club. Yeah. In but I, I, <laughs> Especially I, when it's empty. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. But I also think that's like what you guys at El Road do is you actually book, you have residents, which yeah. I, it's, it's a kind of the word residence is a very weird concept now for me from what I've experienced where you don't necessarily have one resident at a club nowadays. It's usually like just local acts, any local act that's just yeah. available. And whereas I remember kind of first coming up is you would have like three residents and they would just do like I was a resident in Ibiza in like certain venues and it was just either me and then a guest every every night. And that's kind of what you're expected to do, right? And yeah. that resident is generally the better DJ because they know the room and they, they learn the crowd and they do all of that. Is that is that the whole concept of having residences for Elro? Uh, in a way, yes. Uh, you know, there is a misconception of resident DJs having to be always the ones that open. Yeah. And, and I... Yes, I agree that some residents will open and we always rotate them. So, you know, we have, what, 10, 11 residents now, mm. uh, you know, uh, across like all the clubs and Monegros and Florida, you know, so including Andres and including the guys that we have in the in the yeah. more disco room and stuff. And, you know, they open, they close, they play in the middle, but mm. we always make a stand that they have to play in between the guests. Uh, you know, they just done three residents and then three guests. No. Yeah. It always has to be resident, guest, guest, resident, yeah. and maybe a, and most of the times we give the closing to a resident because yeah. at the end of the day, um, you know, when you are an, an experiential party like we are, uh, and we don't announce the lineups many times mm. until closer to the event, 
we, you know, we we want to make sure that the people know that they're going to come to a good party and they, you know, maybe you would like the lineup more or less. Uh, yeah, you know, the DJ that you love is not getting booked this time or, mm. you know, that. But at least, you know, you're coming to a, to a decent show and to a good show with good DJs. So for us, nurturing the resident DJs has always been super important. Yeah. And, you know, we're happy when they have a career on their own and they just, you know, they just leave us. Awesome. So, yeah. Great. I think that's the whole goal, right? I think so. Yeah, I think I think for me, like even like ha- like having a record label, and I know the record label's in super early days, but the goal for me is to be able to build and help the artists get to a level where they can just go and do their own thing. Yeah, I mean, look what we've been doing during the pandemic. We launched this um, up and coming talent contest, yeah. uh, which you know is something that we with Juan especially we've always talked about and something mm. that we wanted to do. But we just didn't have the time, you know. Yeah. We were so busy. It's just, you know, you get in the wheel and, and you don't realize and mm-hmm. you don't stop, you know. And the pandemic has helped a lot of us to realize that. Okay, hold on. There's there's other things that we can do. And totally. but you, you now we have time to think and to do projects. So you know, we launched this project and we have, you know, we we got over three thousand applicants wow. to it um from all over the world yeah. all over the world um you know and after like uh, the competition went through we have uh amadeo and florencia which are you know two up and two bedroom djs they, they've never played in a club before yeah. and now they're playing at amnesia and they're playing in genova they're playing in france they're playing barcelona you know they already have an agency one of them has already been booked to play at ants in amnesia so it's great to see that you know you've kind of taken these two kids from their bedrooms and put them on a big stage yeah. and you know and it's working great for them and you know they're in their early 20s man and it's, it's so good to to be able to do something like that yeah i met Flor- did i meet florencia Florencia. yeah i met florencia and she's she's a lovely girl and a wicked dj as well um yeah. but yeah i couldn't it's amazing that you guys are doing that because i couldn't even imagine going from bedroom to because I think when <laughs> when I <laughs> yeah or like even um where where did I was it Slovenia no Bulgaria uh, Bulgaria, Bulgaria. Yeah. Jesus yeah. fucking Christ dude that venue that you'd put the party on that was, was eight thousand capacity I insane think. <laughs> yeah like it's an arena like yeah it, it was just a sea of people um and from going from I I I don't know I would shit my pants. Going from <laughs> from DJing in your bedroom to DJing in front of eight thousand people. Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of balls. Don't get me wrong; they they huge. skip the whole bar, empty club, and yeah. stuff like that. You know, yeah, um, huge. Gahoonies. But they they did good. They went, they, you know, they were from close to four thousand applicants to two people. So you know, they were good. Yeah, man, that's it's, it's special but i th- i think it's important yeah. that brands do that and i it comes across very authentic how how you guys run it and i think it obviously is very authentic because it's a family owned business and it still is a family owned business and it's at the end of the day i think the morals of it is still to throw a fucking great party um it will always be that man mm. i mean we i mean we 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 are part of a bigger group now uh now that happened you know that's yeah. uh you know, kind of like an SFX thing. Uh, we still keep control, obviously, and we are still you know, very much in charge of all the decisions. But, you know, somebody had to invest in us to to be able to grow uh, exponentially mm-hmm. like we have. And, you know, and we have great partners within the company. You know, we, you know, we have Awakenings, we have yeah. Sonar in the company. So, 
it makes you grow as a company and then you see business from another side, from another point of view that other people in other countries are. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's very much like if I even say this now, nobody would realize. And if you don't know that, mm. you know, that we have some sort of investment behind us uh, because we keep controlling everything. And, mm. you know, at the end, when somebody invests in you, it's because you've done things right, not because they want to change what you've done yeah. so far. Yeah, I, I totally um, agree. And I, th- I think generally investment in big brands look at insomniac in in america yeah like pasquale obviously got insomniac to a certain level but live nation when live nation came and bought half or i I don't fully know the full deal but that just allows insomniac to throw more parties to make more people happy like that's the thing you know if, if we were to grow the way we grew uh on a private level it's it's a very high risk because yeah. you 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 know you're putting on the you put on the table the livelihood of a, of a whole family yeah. at the end of the day mm. and you know so yeah we would have i don't know if we would have reached the point that we are now mm. we were definitely been you know probably a <laughs> bit more careful or we would have been a bit slower the growth mm. you know when you have some investment behind you then you know you try to put all the, you know, all the meat in the oven and, and go for it, you know? Well, I th- and I think, we knew, we knew on, we had a good product. Uh, we knew we had a good product and, you know, it's proven that, that it's worked. Uh, at the end of the day, people just want to have fun. They don't want to go to a club and have music yeah. lessons, you know? They just, they just want to have fun. I think also with the whole investment thing, it is still about making money and you still have to run it as a business. Sorry. <coughs> um, however, Losing money on a couple of parties doesn't affect the business to a certain extent. And Correct. And you can try things, you know. You can see, well, what happens if I go over here? Mm. Is it going to work? Is it not going to work? You know, am I allowed to lose X amount of money because I'm trying to open new territories? Yeah. Um, so that gives you a bit of more, you know, peace of mind. And maybe you were in doing a very good show instead of worrying on not losing money, Mm, you know? Exactly, exactly. And I think what you guys do as a brand, you have to, you you guys must, you must spend a fortune to throw parties because the the amount of production, like the amount of people, like you have actors, actresses, you have stage builders. Like how does that all happen? Um, what, what do you mean in what in which way from like, like say for instance, a- yeah from like we we okay let's say for instance we're throwing a party in I don't know wherever yeah. London in the UK we've got a, got a venue in London in the UK what's the okay it's going to be this theme and then how does it go from being a theme to actually becoming I mean, the themes, the themes are created way before we even take it to a club. You know, okay. we have a, an amazing creative team mm. and they're crazy as fuck. And that's, that's the great thing about it, you know, because there's, there's, that's just not a crazy idea. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I remember years ago we did this uh, April Fool's prank where we said that we just take it on a on an island over an island in the Caribbean and we're just gonna do a road for 165 days a year, you know. So you could just <laughs> come on this Elro resort and you could party, and it doesn't matter what time of the year you would come, there will always be parties. So you know, <laughs> like this uh, all year round festival. 
And forward three years later, four years later, and we did Elroy Island last year, which we basically took over an island for three days. <laughs> and we completely themed the island and different stages. And you come and stay and sleep there and you have performers, uh, you know, greeting you when you come to the island. And so you never know, you know, what you never know what a crazy idea is going to mm. turn into. Um so yeah, you know. So wait, wait, to answer your question, I mean, if you, if it comes in terms of a theme, it's just like creation. It comes from the office. You yeah. know, you throw the ideas, and then you you have to put it into uh, blueprints. And mm. you know, we create pretty much everything ourselves in our warehouses. Mm. So a lot of the things that we do are made by hand uh, in here in Barcelona. So it's a very creative process. And then when it comes to the show, if you want to do a show in London, we, you know, we don't just go like, oh yeah, this is this amount of money yeah. now we actually look at the blueprints of the venue look at pictures of the venue we see what's the best way to make it more immersive and how we can produce it mm. and we create a budget based on that and and that's it you know we we just don't go like oh this is this much yeah no, it's, there's actually a, a thought process and then obviously the logistics of it and yeah. if this theme is here how you take it from there so why do you do this one as I mean, I don't work in logistics, but it's, it's probably the hardest part of this business. Well, yeah, because I when I played the New York show recently, like I was like, this must have just cost a fortune just to put on. <laughs> like, well, I know yeah. it cost a fortune to put on, if you know what I mean. But it's yeah. like, and then you the pressure of that as well to then have to sell tickets and to also be, especially now, to be in a market where big events need to sell tickets but also there's so much competition going on it's just like yeah. non-stop i couldn't even imagine the stress of what it can bring on sometimes yeah it is stressful but i think one thing that we did good or the you know the family did good is that we kind of separated a little bit from from everyone else you know mm. and we tried to bring something new into oh, the yeah. and it's not i mean it's, we didn't invent the wheel again in here you know there's been still walkers at space in the terrace for many years. Yeah. And my new mission was already doing crazy stuff yeah. with that the with theatrics. So I think we just kind of combined fun elements and made them into a crazy party, mm. you know? Well, and I, yeah. it, it worked. What I've always said about Elro is that it filled a gap in the market where nobody else it, there there came a point in in clubbing for me. And I could, I'm happy to be wrong on this, but there came a point where it just became about a dark room and DJs and it was yeah. getting all very serious for, for a short period of time. And manumission got ended. Um, fun fact, I, I was a, a performer at manumission one, one of the years. Oh, no so, way. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to ask what you were doing. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't, <laughs> I was, it was so random. I was peeling carrots and potatoes in people's faces. <laughs> um but uh when all that stopped it kind of there was something missing and i know you guys were doing things before then and 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 as the family they were they were doing things but the elro just filled a gap of fun that was just lacking in in the industry and i think that's why it did so well so quickly um yeah I I think so. I think I think the good thing, the good appeal about Del Row is that, as you say, it became about a dark room mm. and lasers, strobes, and you know, 
not to be sexist in any way, but that doesn't appeal to a lot of people, you know, yeah. and especially girls. They yeah. don't want to be in a dark room full of sweaty guys, you know, <laughs> dancing and high on whatever they're yeah. taking. And, you know, I think what, what we did was just open dance music to people that not necessarily are coming from a dance music background. Mm. Um, I know some people hate us because we did that. And, you know, especially some, some purists. And I know some people don't want to play El Rock because they think it's a joke. Yeah. Fine. I'm, 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 I'm okay with that. No, it's not even fuck them. You know, it's, you know, you don't want to come. You don't want to come. It's okay. It's, there's millions of DJs in this world, you know? Mm. Um, and I've taken people that they were saying like, oh, well, Rosa, you know, it's just a gimmick, blah, blah, blah. And I've taken them to Elro, one Elro event. And they go like, okay, yeah, maybe we won't be my first choice of a party, but it's a fucking good party. Yeah. It's a fun party. Yeah. I had a lot of fun, yeah. you know? So I can understand there's, there's people that they just want to go and listen to music and get in the music and they don't want anything to happen around them. They just want to get lost in the music. Mm. And I, I, I'm one of them. I used to be like one of them, you know? I used yeah. to go to see DJs and just you know get yeah. there um but this is fun man there's nothing wrong with having fun uh, no, you know agree. people want to have fun people want to escape from their daily issues and i think elro is a good escape is as good escape as any other mm. yeah it's amazing man you guys have done some amazing parties um Thank you. to end the podcast um i generally ask people to give one bit of advice to anybody not not music not anything just life advice i know we've had don't be a dick that's been a classic one all, th all through this podcast <laughs> but do you have any uh, one bit of advice that you would give or that you've lived by it's just tough my dad always said to me and i've it's funny i saw this, there was on this this facebook group that there was like uh, what would be the best advice you would give to anyone and i wrote this which was what my dad used to tell me all the time and to this day he keeps telling me um don't give me any advice i like to make my own mistakes you know mm. <laughs> so i, like I don't know if that counts as advice but you know learn from the, which means in a way for me what it means is learn from your own mistakes you know learn yeah. I think you have to be your own individual and I think you have to, you know, have your own identity and not because somebody tells you that if you go right, you're going to have it easier. Well, maybe if you go left, it's going to be harder, but the reward is going to be much bigger, mm. you know? No, I you have to know yourself and, and know where you want to go and where you want to be and, you know, yes, listen to people, but don't, don't take every advice too hard. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Dude, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure to catch up. Thank um, you, man. And I'll see you in, I think, just over a month. In yeah, Amnesia. see you in July, New York. Yeah, no? man. Uh, yeah, great. Is in, it in July? In Ibiza. No? In Ibiza before. Yeah, I don't think I'm doing New York. You're in New York? Sorry. It's no, I don't, too many I, shows. Don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I am, but I don't know. Maybe. Are you going to... Um, are you going to electric zoo? Uh no. no. I won't be electric zoo. No. No, yeah. that's I'm I'm coming to New York on the twenty third of July. Uh, that's why I thought that I might see you there. But uh, if you're not playing this one, then no, I'm not there. I'm, not there. I'm not there. It's no, it's so such a busy summer. Are you doing Ibiza I, yeah, every week? No. No, no not me. Yeah. Not me. Juan yeah. or anybody from the family will be there. We'll take turns. Cool. So I don't know still which ones I'm gonna be there, but um I'm sure I'll catch you. I think I'm there on the second of july and then somewhere second of july sometimes yeah September. i'm not there that one cool <laughs> no worries. great to Bye, great buddy. to talk thank you thank you so much for, for coming on i really appreciate it thank you for having me peace man See you soon. Will. Bye. Yes. bye and that is a wrap uh 
Big love to Victor for coming on. Thanks for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe. Give us some reviews. It keeps the podcast going. Thank you so much. Keep safe. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.